We're excited about continuing our study in the books of the Bible. And so we want you to go ahead and turn to the book of Exodus, if you will. We're going to Exodus, and we're going to study the book of Exodus. Now, I want to say, starting off, that there's no possible way that we can really cram all of Exodus in. My dear friend Sean warned me, Pastor, do not do a lot of reviewing. I like to review. It sort of catches up. But there's no way you can review on things like this. So we covered the book of Genesis. So here's what I'm going to say to you about reviewing. Go back and watch the, the previous message, amen? And that'll review it. And uh, so we won't, we won't spend any time on that. Exodus chapter 1, if you're there, let's look at that. Exodus chapter and number 1. We'll begin reading in verse number 1 of Exodus 1. Now these are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt. Every man and his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, uh, Gad, and Asher. And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were seventy souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died in all his brethren in all that generation. And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceedingly mighty, exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. Father, help us now bless our study. I pray you would give us the things that we have need of tonight, and we'll give you the glory for it in Christ's holy name. Amen. For those of you that like keeping some trivia about the book of Exodus, it has 40 chapters, 1,213 verses, 32,692 words. And I want to just tell you that it's going to be a very thin message tonight because it took me a long time to count that out. And uh, so we won't have a lot of time for any meat tonight. But uh, the, 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 the word Exodus, as you're aware of, uh, itself refers to a departure or an evacuation, uh, an immigration, or more notably, as in the case that we read it here, a mass departure. So, so there can be an exodus of one or two people. But the book of Exodus is not about the exodus of one or two people. It's about the mass departure of the children of Israel um, from the land of Egypt. Now, we remember from our study, and just as we skimmed through and sort of highlighted the book of Genesis, spent a lot more time on creation and the importance of that than, than we did others. But we did mention in chapter 12, verse 1, that Abraham is called out of the Ur of the Chaldees by God, and he's sent up over the Fertile Crescent and, and uh, sent on his way down to the, to the Promised Land, and he is the first Hebrew. So Abraham is the father of, of the Hebrew nation, and the father of, of the Jewish people, and ultimately of, of many nations. And, and, and so with that in mind, we must ask ourselves the question, what are they doing then in Egypt? Okay, So there's a mass exodus, exodus of the Jewish people, the children of Israel, the, the children of God, out of Exodus, uh, in the book of Exodus. That's what, that's what this is about. 
And, and so we have to ask our question, what are they doing in Egypt and why, why did they leave there? Why was all of that necessary? Now I want to just say this, we'll talk about this in a moment, but it's all a beautiful picture of the sovereignty, the providential guidance of our Heavenly Father. And uh, he took a kid named Joseph who was sold into slavery by his jealous brothers and he promoted him to high authority so that he could save Israel from, from famine. And, and so as the, book of, as the book of Genesis closes, now stay with me because we're, we're fixing to hit the crux of this book. As the book of Genesis closes, the children of Israel have been brought there by Joseph. Okay, There were seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. You know the story how that his brothers came in to buy corn and things like that and and how that Joseph, whom they had sold into slavery, had been under the, under the providential hand of God, promoted to be the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. And, and uh, he fed them and took care of uh, his brethren, uh, his father's household, the children of Israel, during the seven years of famine that ravaged the land. And so that was God working. That was God's hand evidently moving in the affairs of Israel, the affairs of Egypt, the affairs of that part of the world. God was evidently seen, visibly seen. You could see the hand of God in, in so much of that. Now let me just say this. The, 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 the life of Joseph seemed to be so defined by misfortune and defeat. I mean, if you looked at Joseph's life, most people for the first part would say, hey, no, nothing can good can come out of that. Are you kidding me? His brothers, his brothers sold him into slavery, lied to their dad, said he was dead, took the coat of many colors, blotched it with blood and said, you know, a wild beast has got him, broke, Joseph, uh, broke Jacob's heart. Now here goes Joseph, you know, he's, he's uh, bought uh, and, then, and then again later sold uh, by the, I think it was the Midianites, and then sold into the, the hands of, of those in Egypt. And he winds up in Potiphar's house, and he's climbing the ladder. Things look good. Then he's accused of an immoral sin that he did not do. He winds up in prison. In prison, he rises in prestige, and it seems like everything's going to go good. He, he's, he's able to tell, you know, the dreams to, the, to uh, 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 those that are there, the butler and the baker, and uh, with a promise that they would that he would be remembered, he wasn't remembered, and and then the dream that Pharaoh had, and then God, you know, Joseph go, Joseph got up before Pharaoh and said, I I can I can tell you what your dream is, and and uh, it's it's not of me, it's of God, it's not me doing, it's of God, and so immediately he gave glory to where it belonged, and that was to the Lord, and so now Joseph's the second most powerful man in all of Egypt, and God put him there to save the nation of not just Egypt, but ultimately of, of Israel. I love Romans 8.31. The Bible says, what shall we then say to these things? What's, what's our answer to these, these truths, these illustrations, these evidences that we find of God's power and God's might? What shall we then say to these things if God be for us? Who can be against us? Now that's a rhetorical question. If God be for us, then who can be against us? And the answer is clearly no one. So, 
So we thank God for, for his watch care and his blessing. Now, so that's, that's, that's what happened in the life of Joseph. Now stay with me. Because as we open the first page of Genesis, and we wade just ankle deep into the first chapter, we find two significant events that are going to change the course of the history of the children of God. Things that, 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 that are going to uh, explain to us why the existence of Israel in Egypt had become so altered. It was first a place of blessing, then it becomes a place of bondage. The place where Israel had found sustenance, now suddenly they find slavery. Well, what happened there? Two things. Number one, look in verse number six. And Joseph, what? Died. And Joseph died, and all his brethren, and all that generation. So a generation of people that God used, the man that God used, now suddenly he has died and he's off the scene. Well, it continued to be a place of blessing for the children of Israel. Verse number 7 says, And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. So even though Joseph was dead and that generation was dead, Egypt remained for a while, for a time period, it remained a place of blessing to the children of Israel. God continued to bless them. They continued to flourish and, and, and God sustained them there. Watch this, verse 8. Stay with me. Everybody here? Now there arose up a new king. This is the second event. Number one event is people died off. Second event, now there arose up a new king over Egypt, listen to this, which knew not who? Joseph. That's the second event. The first thing is that Joseph died in his generation. The children of Israel continued to be blessed in that foreign land. However, something happened. A new king came, and now all of a sudden... Nobody knows who Joseph is, okay? Nobody is aware of who Joseph was. And so it, it all boiled down, basically. The, what, what was the stark difference? Listen, what was the dramatic change? What, what, happened, what happened in the book of Genesis as it closes out and the children of Israel are being blessed in Egypt. And now all of a sudden we wait a little bit into chapter 1 and, and, and things begin to fall apart. And you know what happens? The children of Israel, now, now rather than being recognized, these are the people of blessing that bought, brought blessing to us. Now they're looked down upon and they're criticized and they're ridiculed. Why? Because there arose a king that knew not Joseph. There arose a king that did not know Joseph. And so... The reality is that that lack of knowledge and that lack of connection with who Joseph was altered the way the children of Israel were ultimately treated in the land of Israel. Why, why were they suddenly enslaved? Why did blessing turn to bondage? Why did sustenance turn to slavery? Why were the people that were favored all of a sudden now feared? Why, why is it that they were placed in chains and shackles and, and, and began to dig mud off of the Nile and, and straw and make adobe brick for the, 
uh, construction uh, of, of uh, the buildings in Egypt, what happened to them? What ha why were their circumstances so changed? Because there arose a king that knew not Joseph. Now I want you to think about that for a moment, would you please? How do you forget Joseph? I, mean, I want you to think about that thought. How, how do you forget Joseph? How, how do you get to the place to where you forget who he was? God not only used him to save Egypt from starvation, but he also used him to save the children of Israel. Can you imagine the fame? Can you imagine the fame of Joseph uh, in the day in which he lived? Can you imagine uh, the deep appreciation, the heartfelt emotion and appreciation when Joseph would stand on a platform and speak or someone would see his chariot uh, going down the, 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 the uh, thoroughfare. Can you imagine when the name of Joseph was mentioned for many, many years after the event of the seven years of famine had passed, can you imagine what people thought? That's Joseph. That's, we owe our life to Joseph. We owe our nation to Joseph. We owe this kingdom to Joseph. We, we, owe, we owe everything we have to Joseph. It was in that the depth of that famine that Joseph sustained us and it was Joseph that brought us through. How do, you, how do you forget Joseph? How do you forget somebody as big and as powerful and as influential as Joseph was? But now listen to me. This is 350 years after Joseph had died. And yet you're talking about one of the nations on the earth that had the greatest system of records and the greatest system of history. So, so we're 350 years removed from Joseph's death. And, and if you mention his name, people just stare at you quizzically. Who? Who? Who, who are you talking about? I, I don't, I'm not sure that I, I'm not sure that I know what, 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 what exactly did he do? And, and so it's, it's, an alarming, it's an alarming thing. Listen, listen to this. In 350 years, they went from knowing all about Joseph to knowing something about Joseph to knowing a little about Joseph to knowing nothing about Joseph in 350 years. Joe Arthur, a great Georgia preacher, has a entire message he builds on this idea of what happened here. It's a tremendous message. And one of the things he notes that I think is significant for us to grasp what we're talking about here is, is this. L listen. In 1957, the United States of America, or especially Virginia, America recognized it, but Virginia held what they called the Jamestown Festival. It was the 350th anniversary of Jamestown. And, and, and so there was an eight-month-long celebration of Jamestown. Now, do you know what every child in America knows about? You, you, you can bring some of my grandkids in here that are that far along in school, and you can ask them about Jamestown. They'll go about Jamestown. Everybody knows, everybody knows 
about Jamestown, and I realize we may not all be history scholars or teachers, but, but if you say, you can, go up, you can go up the coast now, Susie, I think y'all went to it and visited the Jamestown settlement, and they've got a, they've got a reproduction of it there where you could actually walk through the streets and, and see how they made things and shoot horses and did leather work and candle work. It's, it's Jamestown, it's there. But 350 years later, there arose a new king that knew not Joseph. Now, how do you apply that? What does that mean? Well, first of all, I want you to say this. That's the changing point in Exodus. That one verse right there, that's it. That's, that's why we have Exodus. That's why blessing turned to bondage. Because there was a king that didn't know Joseph. And, and so that is, the, that, is the, that is the most pertinent verse in all of Exodus, because everything that happened, you know what that is? That's the first domino that's pushed. And every domino that falls throughout the book of Exodus as it travels its way through these chapters, every single domino that falls, it all began with a king that knew not Joseph after only 350 years, had no idea. Had no idea. So how does that apply to us in this day, okay? Joseph was one of the most perfect pictures of Christ in the Old Testament. I mean, he was, he was hated by his brothers. I could go through the list. I don't have... He's hated by his brothers. He was sold for the price of a slave. Um, I mean, I mean you, you know, the betrayal kiss. Think, think, about, think about the fact that, that um, uh, he was loved by his father. I mean, I mean think, think about, he took a Gentile bride. I mean, think about what happened in Joseph's life. The picture of Christ in the life of Joseph is enormous. Do you know what the problem in the world is today? Is there has arisen a generation of people that knew not Jesus. It's exactly what our problem is. That's why we are where we are. You know why the people of God are treated like they are today? It's because there are people in the world in places of authority that, that, that don't know Jesus. That's the whole issue. That's the entire issue in the world today. You know why we're hated? Because we know Jesus and they don't. You know the changes in our world? Look, I've got in my house, I've got a bench from, from the Detroit Tabernacle where Billy Sunday preached and... and uh, uh, I've got his 1929 Union Pacific card, Moss Sunday's 1929 Union Pacific card. I've sat in his house in Winona Lake, Indiana on, on eight different occasions and read his books and, 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 and just, just sat in the house and gone through the things he did and the things he read. Listen, I want to tell you something. He, he, was, a, he was an incredible uh, evangelist that shook this continent for Christ and literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people would walk the sawdust trail and come to Jesus. He, could, he would build a wooden tabernacle with the big letters on the outside of it, get right with God, and entire cities would show up. The businesses would, would close down at certain hours of the day to let their entire, in, entire group of employees form a delegation to go hear Billy Sunday preach. His messages were carried on the front page of every newspaper in, in America. And, and he was respected and loved by, by, by people of every walk of life. John Rockefeller and others came to his meetings. But you've got to swallow goldfish. You've got to give away something. 
to get people to come today. Pastor better be on the phone calling people, reminding them, begging them, come on, come to church. Man, back then, you know what's happened? Generation of people have arisen that, that don't know Jesus. And it's such, a, it's such an important such an important thing. Now listen to me. Look at me. Is as is, is drastic to the culture as a king arising that knew not Joseph ten billion times more is the impact of people not knowing Jesus. Because Jesus saved far more than Egypt and Israel. Jesus gave His life for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And so it's very important. So our world today is seen in this picture of Exodus. And by the way, we're going to have an Exodus one day. Amen? Out of this world. We're going to be raptured out of here. We're going to have an Exodus. And, and, and we're, we're gone from a world that, that knew not Jesus. And it's going to happen. Now, ultimately, it was Moses, of course, that led the children of Israel across the Red Sea. And, uh, and yet the people turned their back at Kadesh Barnea. Now, this is interesting, and I want to just take a moment, and, and then we're going to move down a little further. I want to bring out some, some of the points that I, I want to grab out of Exodus. But they, they, Moses, Moses is the one that led. Remember, he faced, Air, faced uh, Pharaoh, and, and uh, God called Moses the stuttering son of a slave woman carried to carry the children of Israel out of their bondage, okay? And so God, God, used, him, God used him to do that. He brings them, and this is, I'm going to really shorten a long journey. He brings them to the brink of Kadesh Barnea, okay? That's the front. Kadesh Barnea is the front porch of the promised land. They send spies into the land. And, and the spies come back, and the majority of the spies brought back a what? An evil report, okay? Two of them said, we can take it. The rest of them said, we can't. Wait a minute. Were they being truthful? They were expressing what they thought, and they were expressing what they saw. Now, they exaggerated it like, like we humans are oftentimes tempted to do. But this is what God said. God said, that is an evil report. They didn't use curse language. They didn't tell an absolute lie. They, their fear was evidenced in their description of being like grasshoppers. But they did see giants and they said so. But God said, because you've used your report to discourage people from doing the will of God, I want you to know that's the kind of report that I consider to be evil. I tell you, we better watch our mouth. We better watch how we better watch how we discourage people and 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 turn people from the reality that there is a God that can do anything that that we need them to that, that we need Him to do. Now I I know God's not at our at our beckon and will. I know we can't dictate to God what He does, but we have full right to ask God what we need God to do. And, and then we have to trust God to do what He knows is best. But we better be careful not discouraging people and, and uh, bringing about evil reports of, of the children of Israel. Now, when you read through the book of Exodus, there's two things you become primarily impressed with. Number one is the failure of men. 
Because it's all in the book. I mean, when you read this book, you know what? Hey, Moses failed. Aaron failed. Wait a minute. The children of Israel themselves. These are the people God's rescuing. He's delivering them. You know what they did? They failed. Okay. And so the first thing you become aware of, look, dude, these people, they're not worth saving. I mean, honestly, good night. Moses is pitching a fit and busting the rock, and he's mad and throwing down the tablets, and God gives him on Sinai and breaking them up and smites the rock twice and must I give you water? No, Moses, you didn't give anybody water. God did that. Must I give you water? No, 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 you can't give water. God, only God can give the water out of the rock. And so you just see anger and you see failure. And then there's the lies of Aaron. How'd this golden calf get here? Well, I'm, I don't know. I just, we threw some, we took up some earrings and threw it in the fire and the calf popped out. And, uh, you know, just an absolute lie. And, and so you, you see the lying anger failure, listen, the backslidden people of Israel, and you say, why would God save them? Same reason He saves us. So we see the failings of men. The second thing we see is this, and that is the sovereignty of our God. Okay, No matter how much man failed, God was able to uh, bring man through that. Wait a minute. And the purpose of God never stopped because of the failures of men. Now, I want to help you with something. I want you to listen to me. Everybody with me? How many of you are with me? Let me see your hands. Thank both of you. All right, here we go. Look at me. Listen to me. God is sovereign. Now, don't let that scare you off. It's absolutely, teetotally true. All right, and I want to talk about it for a moment because you're going to, you're going to, it's one of the great lessons in the book of Exodus. Sovereignty means this. It means to have supreme rank or power. And only a fool would deny the omnipotence of a holy God. When you say God is sovereign and people say, oh my word, what is he? Who is he? What is he? No, no, no. Stay calm. The Bible says it. So if the Bible says it, I'm dead sure going to say it. I'm not afraid to say it whatsoever. God is sovereign. God is, is absolutely has supreme rank and supreme power. Our God is omnipotent. Let me say this to you. Listen carefully. God rules over the ages. <laughs> in the beginning, who? God. And let me tell you something about today. God. Okay? Not just in the beginning, God, but today, God. Wait a minute. And, and in the ending of time, God. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. And He's every letter in between. In every... You know what? I, look, I spent, I spent 20 years teaching history. Let me tell you, let me tell you my conclusion. After my love of my entire life being wrapped up in history from the time I was just a kid, five or six years old, until today. Let me tell you my understanding of history. It is His story. Yeah, you find men in it. But if you can't see behind the events and the affairs of men that there is a God who is in control of everything, just read the story of the Spanish Armada and you can figure out there's God in history. And if it hadn't been for the storm that God sent that way, where, where they said, you know, we, could, we, we can't fight against God, then we would, we would be speaking uh, uh, Spanish and, and we'd be a Catholic nation if it were not. It, it, it's just God. It's just God all throughout history. And He rules over the ages and He controls the ultimate destiny 
of the ages. Listen to me carefully. He has a timeline. Listen, he has a timeline and he has a purpose that is right on schedule today. We, we got to get that. We got to get that because the reality of the matter is, you know, sometimes we get the idea, Lord, things are out of control. They're out of our control. I'll agree with that. They're out of our control. There's less in our control today than has ever been. But can I tell you this? Not one smidgling of God's control has ever been lost. God Almighty has not lost the handle on this world, on your life, or what's going on around us. And, and, and so His schedule is absolutely on time. Now, here's where we got to settle. Because this is important. And that is that in His sovereignty, in His sovereignty, He has granted man a free volition. That's what an omnipotent, almighty, all-powerful God did. God said, my purpose is going to keep on rolling, but I'm going to give you choices to make as to whether or not you want to go along with me or whether you want to go contrary to me. So in His sovereignty, God gives us that choice and, 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 and a free will. A free will. He allows us to accept or reject, to rebel or to obey. And, and, I, and I, I quote this often, what Curtis Hudson used to say. I love Dr. Hudson. What he used to say is, that, has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurred to God? And yet I remind us all that the foreknowledge of God is not causative. Just because God knows everything doesn't mean that God causes everything. We have, to, we have to remember that. Jesus stood before Jerusalem in Luke chapter 13, verse 34, and said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killeth the prophets, and stonest them that are sent to thee, how oft would I have gathered thy children together, as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye, what, would not. He didn't say you couldn't. No, I didn't choose you. You couldn't do it. No, he said, no, no, you had a choice. And your choice was that you would not come to me. And so that was, that's the free will that God has given. And, and I want to just say this. You have to use a lot. In fact, I'm going to use the word awful. You have, to use an, you have to use an awful lot of circular reasoning to get to the place to where you do not believe that God has given man a free will. Now listen, listen. It's not, it's not one or the other. Okay, either God gives man a free will or God's sovereign. No, it's both. God is sovereign. God hasn't lost the handle. God's purpose rules on time. God's not shocked by Omicron, Delta, or Alpha. Okay? He's not, he's not shocked by anything. You know what? You know what? That there's nothing going to happen in 2022 that's going to shock God. The election didn't shock God. The next election won't shock God. And the one after that won't shock God. Okay? Again, that doesn't mean that God is causative of everything, but the reality of the matter is simply this. It's not either one or the other, it's both. The fact that God gives man a free will doesn't make God any less sovereign, and the fact that God is sovereign doesn't mean that man has any less of a free will. I don't understand why people have problems with this, Chip. I, I don't, I, my whole life I've sat around and listened to guys argue, and I'm like, I don't, I don't have a struggle with that. Never have had a struggle with it. God's sovereign. Man's got a free will. 
Okay, that's 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 just how God chose it. And, and if you want to look at the if you want to look at the children of Israel, uh, God chose them as His people. Moses obeyed, Korah rebelled. There's God sovereign. There's free will seen in Moses and in Korah's life. And so I think it's I think it's so so important. And, and, and here's where we get in trouble. When one position denies the other, then you wind up with, you wind up with, you can lose your salvation, you can get it back, you can lose it, you can get it back, you can lose it, you can get it back. And then you wind up with the other group that says, you know, God hates sinners and sends them to hell. And it's just, it's, it's ludicrous doctrine when you go to the extreme one way or the other. Now, there are three basic divisions to Exodus, okay? First of all, the children of Israel are in bondage. These are just simple. Second of all, the children of Israel are delivered from that bondage. And then the third of all, the children of Israel emerge as a nation. You, you see through Exodus their emergence and development as a nation, okay? Now, I want to give you, I want to give you what I see as some of the primary lessons that, that is given us here in the book of Exodus, okay? So let me just give you some lessons that I have drawn out for my own life out of the book of Exodus. Lesson number one, God never forgets His children. Now, isn't that a great lesson? Isn't that a wonderful thing? Do you know this, that God never forgets us? Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. I mean, listen, we're talking about 400 years. They've been there. We're talking about 350 years since, since, he, uh, since Joseph died, and yet they're in bondage, they're, they're placed in bondage, uh, and yet the reality of the matter is that God has not forgotten them. Now, I have no doubt that they may have thought they were forgotten. It may have seemed that they were forgotten. It may have appeared to them the way that their life was going, yeah, God, God forgot us. We're stuck here. I mean, we're, we're, hauling, we're hauling straw. We're, we're digging up. Man, we're, we're digging up clay. We're making brick. This is ridiculous. And then Moses comes along, and, and he says he's from God, and things get worse. And they want to kill, kill Moses. And I mean, it's, it's a rough time. But let me just tell you this. The book of Exodus teaches us this. I don't care how hard and how dark and how, how life may seem to be uh, just literally uh, on a toboggan slide downhill, God knows where you're at. He knows where you're at. He knows what's going on in your life. Nobody had to call God and say, hey, I don't know if you looked, hadn't looked down here in a while, but things ain't going too good in Egypt for us. It was blessing, but now it's bondage. God, we're in trouble. No, no, it was God that sent the deliverer. And so God never forgets His children. Second lesson is simply this, and I'm going to spend just a moment on this, and that is that God always has a man and God always has a plan. Check it out through history. Check it out through history. Check it out. God always has a man. God always has a plan. God always, God's always working. When we don't think He's working, He is. We don't think He's aware, He is. We don't think, we, we just sort of think things are haphazard. No, God's got a plan. God's got a plan. And you, you may not see the plan immediately, but it'll, it'll come over. Here's, here's Joseph. God had him in the perfect place to save the nation from, from, from ravaging famine. 
And Joseph said to his brothers in chapter 50, verse number 20, he said, But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. Joseph said, look, I know what you wanted to do with me, but I want to tell you something. God had a plan. God had a plan. You, you weren't submitted to that plan, but God used you anyhow. Look, Caesar Augustus, you know, the self-proclaimed self God king, Caesar Augustus sitting up there thinking he's bad to the bone, and he makes a decree that all the world should be taxed, and God said, nah, I'm doing that. I'm doing that. I'm moving you to do that. You know why? Because prophecy is going to be fulfilled when the Messiah is born in Bethlehem. And so God used the puppet king to move the entire world to get one man, one woman to have a baby in a manger outside of Bethlehem. God moved the world for his purpose. And so the reality is that God's always got a man. God always has a plan. And now over 400 years later, when another king arose that knew not Joseph and everybody had forgotten that he was the man that had delivered them, God, listen, listen, listen. God opened the door of deliverance through the cry of a baby. Think of how amazing that is. Here's a nation in bondage. Here are the people of God crying out under the under the, 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 the uh, whip of the taskmaster. They're being brutalized in a land where they were once blessed. And a woman walks outside and she says, what is, what is that? What, what do I hear? And they walk over near the bulrushes and there in a little, little ark, there, there's a baby. And God used the cry of a baby to touch a woman's heart, to get a Hebrew in the court of Pharaoh that would lead the children of Israel out of that bondage. Just the cry of a baby. I want to tell you, that's a great, that's a great and, and mighty God that can do that. I love, I love where Moses' life is encapsulated, sort of summed up in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 11. The Bible says, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused. There's choice. Wow, there's choice. Here's a man. What was the purpose of God? If you'll check this out, if you'll check this out, you'll find that in God's foreknowledge and predestination, God moves purposes. But people have a choice as to whether they go along with that purpose. So here's the whole nation of Israel, where they're going. They're going out. Okay, God's going to get them out of there. But what did Moses get to do? He got to refuse. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Watch this, verse 25. Choosing, well, there's choice. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the riches, the reproach of Christ, then greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. And by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do were what? Drowned. So I want to just tell you the reality of, of the matter there. It's so beautiful, and that is that God always has a man 
God always has a plan. Number three, let me say this, and this is an important part. Satan wants your children. Well, when you go to the book of Genesis and, and Moses came to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And so finally, finally Pharaoh said, all right, get out of here, but you leave your children. Leave your children. No, we're not leaving our children. Yeah, yeah. What you ask for, he says in, 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 uh, 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 in Exodus 10, 11, not so, you're not taking the kids. Go now, ye that are men, and serve the Lord. For that ye did desire, and they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Later, God says in, in uh, verse, or, or earlier in verse 2, He says that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and thy son's son what things I have wrought in Egypt, my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. God said, don't you forget to teach what's happening right now in your life. You teach your children about that. You tell your children. You educate your children. You let your children know who God is. You let them know who I am. Well, Pharaoh said, no, we don't want that. You can go, but you leave your children behind. Now, I want you to look at me. Listen to me. We're going to die off. Every one of us, we're going to die off. And if we don't train the next generation, then the future of South Valley Baptist Church and every other South Valley Baptist Church in our nation is going to go down to the grave with the last of us. So what Satan will say to you is basically this. Okay, you can, you can okay, all right. I, I'm, look, just do what you want to do, but don't mess, with, don't, don't mess with your kids. Don't teach your kids that. And the area of temptation is in leaving our children to make their own choices in life, so to, so to speak, rather than to train them on what the right choices are. So we need to be careful. We need to be careful of that. Number four, here's another lesson that I find in the book of Exodus. It's an important lesson. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Okay? So here, let's just go real quick to the edge of the Red Sea. Moses lifts up his rod, the waters part, and the children of Israel walk through on dry ground. Well, what happens when the nation or the army of Pharaoh and the Egyptians come in after them to kill them? In, in uh, chapter uh, 14, verse 28, And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, and all the host of Pharaoh came into the sea after them, and there remained not so much as one of them. So walk with me, if you will, on the shores of the Red Sea after the waters came together, and look at the lifeless bodies and the glimmering army of the, of the, of the, uh, of, of the people of Egypt, the army of Pharaoh. Every lifeless corpse laying there says this, God is greater. Greater is he that is in you, Israel on the other side, than he that is in the world, those floating and those at the bottom of the Red Sea. So our God's greater. He's just greater. I don't care what the world throws. Look, listen, listen. It could be a Nebuchadnezzar threatening the, the burning fiery furnace, but our God's greater. He can take you through it on a Sunday stroll where, where not only do the, does the fire not bother you, but the smell of smoke doesn't pass onto your clothes. Our God's able to do that. Number five, this is important. This is sort of another side of the coin. <laughs> that is this, God's people can also forget. Okay. 
So, so here we are, 350 years later, and there arises a king who knew not Joseph. Well, that idiot, what a dummy. Are you kidding me? 350 years, and they've forgotten? No, 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 no. No, the children of Israel forgot to. If, if, you, if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 9, you, you find that... that um, the children of Israel had forgotten God. They just had forgotten the Lord. Did, did you know this? Listen, you know how long it took to get them from the Red Sea to, to the Promised Land? Eleven days. That's what, that's what the Bible says. Eleven days. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 2. Eleven days. So wait a minute, here, here, we're talking about 350 years and there arose a Pharaoh. How can you forget Joseph? No, no, no. Eleven days later, how can you forget what God did? Eleven days later, they sent, you know, eleven days later, they're, they're staggering at what's going on here. They forgot. They forgot the Passover night when all of the houses of Egypt were sobbing and weeping over the death of the firstborn, and yet their children were safe because there was blood upon the door? And they forgot that? And they forgot that they went out of Egypt with a high hand? And they forgot, they forgot at the Red Sea that they walked through and saw the waters like, like walls on each side of them, and they can you imagine them walking and looking at that? My word. And they're walking through. They're not sinking up to their knees in, in mud and bog. They're walking through as on dry ground. They get on the other side, and they stood and looked back as the army of Egypt, Pharaoh's army, was obliterated by crushing waters. And they forgot that after, after a short journey. Yeah, God's people can forget too. Number six, and I'll do this quickly, we can, we can enter the promised land or wander in the wilderness. It's amazing to me. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1, let me just read it. Just, just, just listen to me read it. There are 11 days journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir into Kadesh Barnea, and it came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month, that Moses spake unto the children of Israel. Two time frames given there, 11 days and 40 years. So our choice is simply this. We can, we, can, we can enter into the promised land, which is, what, which is what Canaan land is representative of. It's the abundant life. Or we can just wander in the wilderness for 40 years and do nothing. Every battle they fought, they did not gain a plot of land. You know what they fought their battles for? The right to wander the next day. They gained nothing. No real estate, no trophy. I won this battle. What does that win me? I can wander again tomorrow. That's all they did for 40 years. That's all they did. They wandered and buried, wandered and buried, wandered and buried, wandered and buried. That's all they did for 40 years. So, so we can stay in a land, we can cross over into a land of life or we can wander in a land of death for 40 years, as long as we want to spend, just enjoy, enjoy the wilderness, ain't much there. Number seven, God will guide us. Lesson number seven, God will guide us. By day it was a cloud. By night it was a pillar of fire. So what does that tell me? It tells me that it doesn't matter the circumstances. God can guide me. 
Preacher, I can't see very good. It's pretty dark. Yeah, God can guide you. Well, it's broad daylight. Well, God can guide you. He doesn't need you charting your own course. Follow the cloud. Things are pretty bright in my life right now. That's okay. Follow the cloud. Things are pretty dark in my life right now. Okay, follow the fire. God will guide you. And I think that's very important. In spite of their rebellion and complaining, God guided them through their failures and their falterings. And then last of all, and I'll close with this. I love this. I love this. Um, um, once He saves us, once He delivers us, He expects us to serve Him. You go to chapter 10, verse 3, and, and all through there, and, and here's the message to Pharaoh. Let my people go, because I want them to picnic and have a party. No, no. No, what was the message? Let my people go that they may serve me. The purpose in the life of the believer who has been saved is service. He saves us for service. That's a great lesson. That's a great lesson. I'm so glad. You know what I'm so glad for? I'm glad that when God saved me as a 12-year-old boy, I didn't know it then, but He had a place of service for me. Can you imagine? Can you imagine you get to serve the King? I walked down a dark street in India one night. Actually, it was, it was dark, but it was early morning. And I, I stood out looking out over mountains that I never even knew existed. In front of me was a, was a row of flowers that were, I just remember they were red, and the sun was beginning to peek up over those hills. And I stood there and I thought to myself, how... How does a kid, barefoot kid, 2619 Carmel Avenue, Savannah, Georgia, father's a railroader, how does a kid go from there to where I stood where I was that day and realized that God had a plan for my life? That's an amazing thing. And did you know that the, God's plan for my life is no greater than God's plan for your life? It's not, it's not really. It's all the same. It's just God's plan for us. And what is that plan that we may serve Him however God chooses for us to serve Him? My joy and my thrill is that God's chosen for me to serve Him here. And He, he opens up other doors and other places. And you serve God on your job. It's not just at church. It's on your job and different places. And God opens up different doors for us. But the joy is in serving Him. It's in, it's in knowing at the end of the day that you have served the King. That's an amazing thing. I'm glad, I'm glad He said, let my people go that they may serve me. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank you for the truth of Exodus. Help us to realize that the whole problem in our world today is that, that there has arisen a generation of people and their leaders that do not know Jesus. I pray that we might get the word out the best we can until you come back for us. In your name we pray these things.